0: Well, so today I'm doing part three of, of being a disciple. And uh, yeah, it's been great talking about this. The last time I was speaking, I was talking about the narrow gate, you know, and the narrow road that each one of us is called to walk. The fact that statistically, you know, 3% of the population in Canada are born-again Christians. So that means 97% of the population gets to live a completely different way Than we do. And for us, the very fact that we've chosen to be disciples of Jesus puts us on a narrow road, which means there are very tight boundaries on our lives. But they're good boundaries. You know, they're tight boundaries when compared to the world that says that it's walking on a wide road that leads to destruction. But the road, the tight road that we're asked to walk, it leads to eternal life. But eternal life now. Kingdom life now. It's not like, oh, if I just get it right, I'm going to make it to heaven. No, it's going, hey, if I walk this way, I will be a light to this dark world that is on this road to destruction. I get to live eternal life now. I get to live kingdom life now. A life that is guided and, and driven by God's love for me and my ability then, because of his love for me, to love myself and to love my neighbor. You know, it's a life of love. A life marked by love, lived by love. It's, it's incredible. Actually, before I go on, let's just pause for a second. God, would you give everyone here in this moment a revelation of your love for them? Everyone watching online, a revelation of your love for them. you remind them that you they are so valuable that they're valuable that they're so valuable you can't even calculate how valuable we are that's the truth for each of you that you are more valuable than you can imagine so valuable that god himself jesus christ would come and die on a cross for you would would go through torture And then a torturous death for the joy set before him. And that joy was us being reconnected with God. From God's perspective, your life is valuable enough for him to give his life. That's the love that he has for you. Scripture says that when we've given our life to Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God, there's nothing that can rip us away from that. Isn't that incredible? That that means that there's you know, on your worst day, God still loves you. You know, on your in your worst moment, when you feel distant from Him, when you feel like you've walked away from Him, thank you, man. God's God is still there and with you. And He's like, I even if you're struggling to love yourself in the moment, I love you. Even if you're struggling to forgive your forgive yourself in this moment, I forgive you. That's amazing. No, thank you so much, Proven. I so appreciate that. It'll keep me from falling over myself. I was like a little concerned I was going to go backwards and like topple over. So thank you so much. That's love, right? He's watching, going, "Hey, I don't want, I don't want James to fall over. Going to come and fix it. Thank you, thank you for loving me." Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who just so happened to have had a community um, in the city of Schetzin. Uh, where I was. I don't know if you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. He's a very well-known German theologian who died in a concentration camp because he was one of the few of his denomination that would stand against what Hitler was doing and say that it is wrong. And he died for it. He said that self-denial means knowing only Christ, no longer knowing oneself. It means no longer seeing oneself, only Him who is going ahead. No longer seeing the way which is too difficult for us. Self-denial says only, He is going ahead. Hold fast to Him. In other words, self-denial means it's just having our eyes focused on Jesus. It's the very thing. We're not. The opposite of self-denial is being self-centered. So it's making that 180 degree turn and going, I'm not looking at me. I'm looking at you, Jesus. I'm looking at the one who died for me. I'm looking at the one who loves me, the one who's risen from the grave, the one who is very much alive. What are you doing? How can I follow you? And that's what we're called to, right? In the first time I spoke on on being a disciple, I talked about the fact that if we are a disciple of Jesus, what we are deciding is that his worldview is the only one that matters. That he has, we look at him as our master, not as a master slave, but that he has all the answers to life. He has mastered life. And his way, the way he lived, the way he is now, is the way we would follow. Because we truly believe that he is God. And that, that you know, the one that could create the universe understands how we're to live and that we should follow his ways. His ways are far greater than the world's ways are the ways we would come up with. Right? So because we're valuable, this thing of self-denial isn't denying our value. We can go, oh, I am absolutely valuable. You know, God has given me, in, said God saw I, that I am that valuable that I am worth dying for. So I'm really valuable. But I am not, you know, my value doesn't mean now it's all about me. It's that I am a valuable part of the kingdom of God. That God says, I am, I am good. You know, that what he created is good. And that he's got a plan and purpose for my life. And that it is worth following Jesus for me to live in the fullness of the value that I have. Hmm. Fulfillment. By, one, uh, by oneself, so s- saying that you have value, that yourself has value, by definition, is the fulfillment by oneself of the possibilities of one's character or personality. So true self-fulfillment in Christ is that going, okay, I want to fulfill all the possibilities of my character and my personality that God has created me to be. And that I'm going to achieve that only by walking the narrow road that God asks me to walk. The lie of the wide road is no different than the lie of the Garden of Eden. And that if you will just be God yourself, then you can truly have a fulfilling life. That's the lie that Satan sold Adam and Eve. And it's the same lie he sells us today. It's the same lie. But the truth is that our true self-fulfillment, the true joy, the true peace, true happiness in life comes by walking the narrow road and living God's way only. God's way only. See, if we're disciples of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is right about reality. Thus, I need to change the way I live to experience the reality that Jesus is right about. I line my life up with God's way to, li- to actually experience the reality that Jesus has. It's, it's interesting, right? I mean, I, I work with a lot of different people, uh, people, and the thing that I've realized is that most of the world's concept of God, even like a lot of the young people that I work with, they, they go to Catholic school. They've grown up with some form of knowledge of God. But in their knowledge of God, God's like a wish granter. And so it's like, well, I prayed. So they'll say, you know, prayer doesn't work. And like, well, I prayed for things and nothing comes about. But it's kind of that idea that if I pray, God's going to intervene in my life and bring about change. Where God says, like, yeah, we, we, we should ask God for things and ask for the things we need. But if we're living in a way that's completely contrary to the way that God would, would have us live, if our definition of reality is the world and we're trying to get the results of the kingdom of God, it's never going to work. You know, God may break in for a moment on something to get our attention, but to truly live in the things that God has for us, we've got to live God's way, you know? And that's the part that I think most of the world misses at the end of the day. And unfortunately, a lot of the church misses, you know, is that there's the, for us to actually live in the things of God, we've got to live his way. doesn't mean that we live perfectly, it, and I'm not, because none of us are perfect, But it it means that we see it's possible to live God's way and we practice things, you know, we train ourselves to live God's way according to scripture, according to the teachings of Jesus. And remember what he said, that all the law and the prophets hangs on this, that we would love God with all our heart, mind, and our spirit, and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. Right there becomes a framework for us in how do we live. So it's why I didn't need to ask God, should I put these people up in a hotel? Should I make a connection with them, with my friends in Halifax? Because I know God. I know how he would want them treated. It's just, it's not a question of whether I should do that. It's, I know this is what I should do. I know it's what I should do because I know how God is. And I'm there to represent him on that plane. So us being a disciple, what it actually means is we are being retrained in a whole new way of living, a way that's opposite of the world. Like Romans says, right, that we're re- being renewed, renewed in our minds. You know, no longer being, no longer being uh, trained by the world, but being transformed in the renewing of our minds. Galatians six verses seven and eight from the message. It says, "Do not be misled." No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So what are you becoming? What are you planting? Are you planting for eternal life or are we planting for ourselves? And these becomes questions that I'm not, you know, they're not accusational questions. They're ones we need to be asking God. That God, are there areas in my life that I am living for myself and not for you? You know, if we look at scripture and we look at our life, are, we, are, are there, is there a big gap between the way Jesus says we should live and the way that we're actually living? And if there are, then God's grace gives us everything we need. It empowers us to walk that narrow road. It requires a repenting on our part of saying, God, this thing, this fear I have, this area of my life that I can't re- surrender control to you on, or this area where I am not living in accordance of your ways, I need to invite your power into that. I need to repent. God, help me to change. And he does. He will. He always, he is faithful when we are surrendered to him. Colossians 3, verse 5 to 11, the NIV version. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such of these things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in its knowledge in the image of its creator. I want to read that one part again. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices... And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in its knowledge, renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Then says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all that's the thing right for us we're being renewed in our you know our our new self is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator same as in romans our mind is being transformed our way of life is being transformed because as our mind goes is how we go right it's out of the heart that these things come but in the heart we're not talking about the organ we're talking about the innermost being you know, And as we are thinking is renewed, as our way is being renewed, as we read scripture and that reminds us of the way that we should go, as we read Jesus' teachings, as we listen to different things, as you're listening today, hopefully your mind is being renewed, your knowledge of who God is is being renewed, that his all-loving, caring nature is what is revealed to us. Because that's the narrow road. The narrow road is a life of the most incredible love that you can imagine. It's a life that says, God loves me. God is for me. God really wants me to live a fulfilled life. Right in him, not a self-centered life, not a fulfilled life in that every one of my desires is fulfilled, but a life where I lay my life down to God because I know he loves me and that he wants the best for me, and he wants my life to impact others because he wants the best for them also. When I talk about the fact that we can disciple over a million people, you know by just simply discipling one person a year and teaching that person to do the same you know over a million people over a 10 year period i actually take that to, to i actually take that number that statistic to 20 years that's actually 500 something like oh, i forgot to put like 525 million people that would be impacted if we followed that pattern for 20 years and that's just this community man that sounds something that like like our life to impact right one person a year that's it If you're a family of four your family impacts another family of four there you go. If you're a single person one person one person a year that you would teach how much they are loved by God and teach them to walk like Jesus you know, and you don't have to have it perfect to teach. Now, when I first got asked to be a leader of something in a church, I hadn't read most of the Bible. I'd grown up Catholic, but I hadn't read most of the Bible. So they literally appointed me a deacon in a church, and I was kind of in charge of an outreach in the same building that the Lifehouse Center building is. This a long time back in 19, what, 99? Yeah, 1999. And I'm like, I better read the Bible, because I don't know actually what it says. So I went, and I was, went off, and I read the Bible for a week. You know, and, and uh, most of the time when I was first leading people, I came more often than not, I had no idea the answers to the questions they were asking. But you know what it made me do is go and look them up. It made me go and find an answer to something. So you don't have to, there's nothing wrong with someone asking you a question and you're going, I actually don't know. I don't know. You know, and being humble enough to say, I don't know, but I'll find out and get back to you. Then it becomes a wonderful teaching opportunity for you and for them. You know, it's just the reality. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be willing. Just have to be willing. And, you know, as as we're willing, as, you know, the more we see the picture of God's love for us and the love of the people around us, like, yeah, I want them to know his love too. I want them to experience this love that He's got, you know. And it's this—it gives a driving force for us to get healed, for us to, you know, if we're carrying emotional scars or wounds or stuff from our past, like, hey, I want those healed up so I can fully experience the reality of God's love for me, and that I can fully express that love to others. Because God's love—it looks like something, right? It looks when we talk about God's love. Corinthians gives us a definition of what that is. I won't, you know. It's, it's about love being kind, about you know this I won't don't have it here, but you can look that up. And it says there in Corinthians that without love it doesn't matter what we do, it's going to be meaningless and have no effect. Yeah. Thank you. You can't be an apprentice of Jesus by accident. If you're not intentionally being discipled by Jesus, you will unintentionally, be discipled by the world. You know, there's always competition. You know. And now the, the one is so much more powerful than the world. But if we are not tuned into the one, then you are being discipled by somebody. You're worshiping someone. You're worshiping something. If our worship is not focused on Jesus, then our worship will be focused on the world, and it happens so unintentionally. You know, it just slide in where it's just because it's so easy. We just get lulled. the world. And suddenly we don't even know what we're worshipping anymore. Suddenly our career becomes the thing that we worship. Or our financial goal becomes the thing that we worship. Or our favorite sports team. Or, you you know, some celebrity. And they actually, we start modeling our life after them, not after Christ. But if we're intentional in our following of Jesus, if we walk that narrow road, man, what is possible is incredible. Matthew sixteen twenty four to 27. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world Yet forfeit their soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. It's this thing we can't get away from in Scripture. You know? That grace is this free gift, we cannot earn it, we cannot earn our salvation. You know, absolutely it's a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You can't give, you know, you can't sit there and go, My good behavior is what got me into the kingdom of heaven. That's you know, not there. What we can say is that what Jesus did on the cross, that's what got me into the kingdom of heaven. But throughout Scripture, it talks about, but God will reward us for what it is that we do with the gift we've been given. So many parables that talk about that. The, the, what we experience in this life, the level of the kingdom of God we experience now is very much linked to how we choose to live. How we choose to follow Jesus. You know? And the rewards it says in heaven are very much linked to what we do with this free gift we've been given. How we walk that thing out. And that's real. That's just, it's a very real thing of the kingdom. There are God, God is looking for those that will say yes to him. Not just say, oh, thanks God for the free gift of your grace and your forgiveness. But God, thank you for that. I see that you are valuable. I see that your way is the only way I should live. God, what good works have you prepared in advance for me to do? I want to do them. But please don't sit around waiting for God to figure out what those good works are. Because those good works start with you loving God and loving your neighbor. And those good works that you, you know, will just get worked out by you actually doing that. By you actually doing that. See, when we start, when we will deny ourselves, in other words, we don't live a self-centered life, but we lived a Christ-centered life. That's when we start to do the things that Jesus did. You start to develop the interior life of Jesus. Not like as a display for the world to see, but the full quality of life Jesus had. I can't, I look at Jesus, I see someone at peace, someone who was filled with joy, someone who understood the mission that was given to him and understood that in his case, self-denial meant giving up his own life. That his obedience to God, his father was most important. Galatians 2.20, it says that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. This is Paul writing. And then he says, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And I hope I I can say that. That I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. In other words... That it's not about James, you know, and the James that would have lived in the flesh, but it's about Christ through me. You know, again, God created me with a personality. God created me with certain gifts. I'm not suggesting my personality should disappear and that I should disappear and that all the people see is Jesus, and that's not what he wants for any of us, but that it's when people you know, experience us, they experience God through us in the unique way that God has created you and he's created me, and that we would be able to say together that we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. That the life we now live in this body, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself up for us. In that same book of Galatians, you've heard me read it many times. where I, But I'm going to read a little farther than I typically read. Galatians 5, 23 where it says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then it says, but those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Other parts of the Gospels, where it quotes Jesus on this thing of picking up our cross, it says, pick up your cross daily and follow him. And that's, our, that's for us. If we're going to walk this narrow road, every day we've got to kill the flesh a little bit more. You know, We've got to be willing to pick up that cross and follow Jesus. Okay, Today, my flesh needs to die a little bit more so that Christ can live a little bit more through me. It can't be, it's not about my way, it's about God's way. God, what do you want to do in and through my life? That that's what matters, and it's there that this thing that this fruit will be: love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's only as we die that those come to life in us. It's those come to life. What matters? It's our internal world our well-being, time-tested things that transform you from the inside out. That way you work out your salvation. You train yourself in godliness. You train yourself the way an athlete would train. Into the new year in this, we'll start talking about spiritual disciplines because those are some of the things that we do, that we see in Scripture, we see that Jesus did, that train us to live this way, that train us you know, to deny self and live for God. The path to spiritual growth and the riches of Christ is not a passive one. As I said before quoting Dallas Willard, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Effort is action, earning is attitude. I I don't I don't want to live a life where I'm just like, yeah, I'm forgiven. You know, that's that's and that's the end of it. Yeah, I'm forgiven. Yeah, but your life doesn't look much different in the world. Yeah, but Christ forgives me, isn't that awesome? I want to live a life of impact. Too much of the church has been self-centered. It's why only 3% of the population is Christian. When after World War II, it was something like 80%. And that's a failure of the church. Because people came back after the Second World War in Canada, like shocked, damaged. You know, they've been at war. People had been separated. They'd lost loved ones. They'd seen horrific things. They ran to the church for answers. But the reality is, is, I mean, again, I'm speaking uh, in in theory, but clearly the church didn't give them Jesus because we would have 80% of the population still being Christians if it did. And if we don't, and unfortunately from a, theological perspective the church at that time in canada was very liberal it wasn't giving people jesus it was giving people social social justice you know and social justice is is a wonderful outworking of following jesus but when social justice replaces jesus you get nothing you know and so we get the society that we've got today that has no morality no social justice. When I you know, it has you know, huge and growing disparity between rich and poor because greed is the predominant thing in our society. You know, and that comes when we put social justice before Jesus. Or we put anything before Jesus. So there's a turning of the tide. There is a, a time for the church to arise and do things differently. We have a lot of work cut out for us. We've been called though to such a time as this. You've been brought to this country for this, regardless of the reason you came. If you even if you like, hey, I came here for a job, that's amazing. You know, but God brought you here to reach those employees in that job. You know? God puts you in the neighborhood, in the house. You know, it puts you if you're living in the basement of somebody else's house, you're there to pray for the people that own it. You know, you're there to pray for the people upstairs. You're in that neighborhood to be a transforming presence. Because, you know. Um in the GTA, or actually not the GTA, between Oshawa, if you know where that is, the other side of Toronto, and Niagara Falls, what is called the Golden Horseshoe, do you know that one in four one in four Canadians live there? An entire like twenty five percent of the entire Canadian population lives between Oshawa and Niagara Falls around Lake Ontario. Do you know the impact we can have? If in the next ten years we reach a million people, that is about a ten percent of that entire population. Ten percent of that entire population, this country will change. This country will change. It'll become just again. You know, and if we take that pattern and we follow it for another for another ten years, man, five hundred twenty-five million people. We'll have to go far outside of Canada to reach all those people. God will send us back to places, you know, and bring transformation in those places. What an incredible thing that we could do together. You know? What an amazing thing that we can do together. You know, and that's by us partnering with God. It's not our own strength, it's not our own ability. It's saying yes to Him. It's saying yes to Him. You know, right now, biggest thing in the news is recession, right? You know, everyone better be prepared. There's going to be a session is over and over and over again, and you know it. You see it. I've talked to people here in the church. They're saying, "Listen, my mortgage has gone up by over a thousand dollars a month because of rising interest rates." I've, you know, talked to people that are concerned about jobs, who concerned about these different things. We've got a God that understands and knows. None of this is a surprise to Him, and He will help us get through this season. You know, and we can trust Him to be a light in this season. You know and let's pray for one another, and let's hold each other's arms up through this season that recession would not hit us right that and I'm not saying some weird concept like, oh, there's going to be a bubble around the church, and like, oh you know, it's not some weird thing. it's the thing of going, hey, you know, regardless of what's going around us, let us be the light, and let us be a people that love one another and support one another that no one is 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 left behind in this season, and we care for one another in that way. And let's trust God that even as, you know, as, as mortgage rates rise, the incomes rise. And do we believe that? You know, God wants an abundant and prosperous people. There is, the poverty mentality is, again, a, a false teaching in the church. It's not, you know, God, when someone will say, well, God doesn't want everybody to be wealthy. Well, why would you believe that when you look at how he treated the Israelites' people, who were supposed to be his representatives? They were all very well off. They were, inc- they were a very prosperous group of people. So prosperous that Jewish people today still have a reputation for being very prosperous. Right? They were prosperous people. They were representing God. So to say that we're not supposed to be a prosperous people is a lie. Now, for money to become our God, that's a problem. And you can look at Scripture and see what happened there, too. You know, the Jewish nation, would, money would become their God, their prosperity would become their God, they would turn away from God, and that was a big problem. Why Jesus was teaching, hey, one of these things will master you, God or money, which is it going to be? But it wasn't a thing of him saying, you should not have money. Right? He didn't say that. He's like, it should never be your master. If money's my master, I'm not getting a hotel room for some Ukrainian refugees. It's like, hey, that's their problem. If money's my master. I'm not giving money to the church because I got to save up for my personal goals instead of, instead of actually investing into the kingdom of God. We we become self centered. We focus on ourselves and what our our goals and achievements are, and we do that at the expense of the kingdom of God. And what we're ultimately saying is, God, I don't trust you to actually help me achieve my goals. It's either that or it's my goals are more important than you. You But if we will trust God with everything, if we will live His way, what is possible? It's mind blowing absolutely incredible so we've got to trust him we've got to trust him you know because the only way we can truly follow him and it's the only way that what god wants to bring about will come about i know when i talk about this thing it can sound crazy but i feel like god is inviting us into something and making it tangible for us right this is not james's goal you know, it's not like, I'm not going to rah-rah you. As I've said, I'm not going to come around to people and go, who did you disciple this year? You know, you don't have to be afraid of that. I'm never going to do that. I, I'm simply inviting us all into something and going, hey, I'm going to do it. You know, I'm, I'm going to do it. And God's inviting us as a community and showing us what can happen when the church actually acts like the church. When the church actually acts like the church. When we put his, his priorities above our own. And we'll see what's possible. Amen? Amen.